Katrina Lake is the co-founder and CEO of Stitch Fix, and this audio blog post is going to be about the post I wrote about Lake and starting Stitch Fix, and it's available on uh, thewaiterspad.com. When my wife's first fix arrived, the value was obvious. Stitch Fix founder Katrina's Lake, How I Built This Podcast Episode, is another excellent story. It's another excellent template for startups. It's a similar path to Instagram and The Skim, two companies we've also featured on the blog. Only Lake has taken things one step further, straddling the online and meat space worlds. Let's see how she did it. If you want more after this podcast, you can go check out Trent Griffin's wonderful site, 25iq.com, and he also wrote a post in November 2017 about Lake. Lake got the idea for Stitch Fix when she was a restaurant and retail consultant. Large retailers wanted ideas from smart young people like Lake, but they acted on only a few of them. One of Lake's ideas was to make a store that was half museum, half warehouse. Customers could scan items from one side, and then those items would be collected in the warehouse and then delivered to a changing room. And then the customer could try those things on and see what they liked and what they didn't like. I had all these ideas on what the businesses could do better, Lake said. Yet, people looked at me like I had seven heads. This is really good. If you're doing something that is different and new, people should look at you like it's weird. Andy Radcliffe said Wealthfront was a radical idea. Scott Norton said about making Sir Kensington ketchup that you have to zig when others are zagging. This is a central tenet to Peter Thiel's idea of zero to one. He, he says, what do people not agree with you on? Comedian Eddie Izzard put it this way, history plus a change in society times a change in technology equals the future. So the future, the way things are going to be, is a culmination of how things are now plus a small change. And that's what Lake was able to understand, or at least what she thought could possibly happen. Lake's job as a consultant was suggest new glasses to men who wanted to stay blind. As Upton Sinclair wrote, It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. This isn't to say that the people Lake advised were obtuse or ignorant or illogical. They were locally logical. Their incentives were tilted toward the status quo. No one gets fired for buying IBM, and no one gets fired for saying no to a museum-slash-warehouse mud of a store. Lake left advising and began capitalizing, but she said it was, quote, a weird time to be in venture, end quote. This was 2007 to 2009, but it was also instructive because Lake had her see-it-to-believe-it moment. This is what she said, quote, The most important learning was that all these people were just like super unqualified normal people, just like I was. I didn't need to be in the peanut gallery lobbing my ideas at other people. I could just do it myself, end quote. This, see it to believe it, to understand what is possible, to get a glimpse at the other side, is a really powerful force for entrepreneurs and anyone who is creating something new. During her time in venture capital, Lake watched for a company to join, but no good fit appeared. So two years later, she left for business school. 
At this point in her podcast with Guy Raz, I was hoping for her to say something like, I knew business school would be a waste of my time, and I could learn everything I needed as I went along as a startup founder, yada yada yada, blah blah blah. Because, as we've hit upon repeatedly on the blog and in this podcast, education doesn't only happen in school. But Lake didn't say this, and I'm glad that she didn't in hindsight. We advocate for the DIY MBA, and we collect examples on the blog like how to get a University of Penn consumer psychology minor, but Lake had a different view, and it's helpful to hear what she said. Quote, I was never going to quit my job and have this gap in my resume. I can take these two years and be a mediocre student. My end goal is to have a company funded, paying myself a salary, and paying back my student loans on the day I graduate. Then the risk profile of entrepreneurship is tenable to me, end quote. So this is really good to hear because Lake is uh, explaining to us what her plan B was. She's creating two options for her future outcomes. One is that she has a startup founded that's paying back her student loans. And the other is um, she doesn't have a startup and all she has is a Harvard MBA. Uh, this is this is what she told uh, Bloomberg when uh, someone from that organization asked her if the MBA was useful. Quote, it was absolutely the right thing for me. I had no history of being an entrepreneur. I loved the classes. I learned to be able to present thoughts quickly, which helped with pitching, leadership, running meetings. I was very deliberate about what I was going to get out of it, end quote. So Lake doesn't do a do-it-yourself MBA, but she really seizes the opportunity. She understands that she doesn't need to excel in the classroom, but she does need to learn. And she really focused on learning certain things. Shipping up to Boston from California, Lake considered the hunting and fishing industries first. Lake said, quote, I had collected a bunch of theses in my head. If you look at industries, the hunting and fishing industry is massive. People are super compassionate about it. It's fragmented, but also concentrated. There are elements of fashion, whether it's technology or actual fashion. Things go out of style, end quote. But hunting and fishing wasn't a good fit, so Lake kept thinking and tinkering. She paid attention. She was curious. Elle magazine wrote that Lake was part of a community-supported agriculture group that had fresh produce delivered to different parts of Boston, including her Cambridge apartment. Hmm. A regular delivery. That's interesting. As Trent Griffin wrote, Lake is more of a missionary than a mercenary. Great brands are built on belief. Phil Knight at Nike and Yvonne Chouinard at Patagonia are two wonderful examples of this. In her time consulting, Lake noticed that small drop-offs cascaded into large effects. If a business's revenue decreased by 10%, then those marginal dollars had to shoulder more fixed cost. Blockbuster, Lake said, quote, is kind of the best example of this, end quote. She goes on to explain that Netflix didn't have to gain 51% of market share to become the dominant provider in an area. They only had to gain 15%. With that kind of a loss, Blockbuster would flounder at 85% because those extra rentals were what paid the costs. There's a story about an early Southwest uh, Airlines either conference call or meeting where um, an administrator or an executive was trying to make the point that You have to take care of every customer. Every customer is important. And we hear businesses say this all the time, but many of them don't do it to the extent that Southwest does. But this conversation between the executive and someone else at Southwest was really striking because they make the point that all of the 
income from Southwest, all of their net profits come from the last two customers on every flight. That's how tight it is for Southwest Airlines. And it goes to demonstrate the value of those marginal customers, those last customers that come in really can make or break a business like Southwest or like Blockbuster or like what Lake is trying to do. And so Lake has this idea. She's getting these different inputs from services that she's around, like the CSA or places she's been, like consumer retail. This is what she says. Quote, There was also a mass depersonalization in a retail store. You don't need iPhone chargers or diaper purchases to be personal, but this ignore the category of apparel that's deeply personal, end quote. So why couldn't a business offer a personal service, Lake wondered. And this is what I think the key is to to Lake's idea. This is what she said, quote, The idea was, how can you deliver a personal experience in apparel and use data and technology to make it scalable and make it better, end quote. In Boston, Lake started to experiment and talk to her customers. These two small acts, test and question, are crucial. Susan Tynan, founder of Framebridge, put it this way, Quote, at Living Social, I sold a lot of framing deals, so I knew customers were looking for a deal in this category. I started talking to everybody about it. Imagine me at a cocktail party or a friend's baseball game talking to people about it, and I kept hearing the same stories about $600 worth of framing, and I couldn't believe it, end quote. At IDEO Design Company, they talk about, to customers a lot. CEO Tim Brown said that when people tour their offices, they often ask, hey, where is everybody? They expect people to be sitting around drafting boards or putting post-it notes on the wall. But good design, said Brown, means going out and talking to the users, talking to the people. When Fashionista asked Lake for advice, this is what she said, quote, I would really focus on product market fit and really understanding your client. I think this is a world where it's very hard to get people's attention, and it's the the customer who is the most honest. You can come up with all the ideas that you want, and then customers ultimately vote with their dollars. So, I think the quickest way that you can get feedback from your clients is to listen to your clients and evolve to be able to have the right products for them. All of that is the right place to start." What did Lake find out? She found out that surveys worked. Ten items were too many to send to people. She found that brands weren't sticky. How did she do this? Just a credit card or two in the free online survey tools that anyone can find. Specifically, quote, I was buying inventory from boutique stores in Boston and would keep track of their return policy. Then when someone would fill out their profile, I would put together a box of things that were relevant based on what they shared in their profile. If they liked it, they would write me a check. If I didn't sell it, I would return it, end quote. And then in another part of the interview, she says, quote, I wasn't making any money. I just wanted to see if this would work, end quote. In the book, The Personal MBA, this is known as the iron law of the market. You have to have customers for what you're trying to do. In his book about uh, Zappos, Tony Shea says, don't try to sell people seven-fingered gloves. Uh, Lake told Bloomberg, this is um, how they figured out their market. And this is what their market is, quote, That working mom profile is our bread and butter. Someone who is time-starved, feels like she's super busy, and doesn't have time to shop, but is excited to have fresh clothes. The time-starved mom is, on average, 39. We also have the working gal profile. She's more like 30. We have a lot of teachers, end quote. First, Lake had 10, then 20, then 35 customers. And she said they had a wait list for a long time because they didn't have the clothes to send to people that were relevant. For people who did get the boxes, Lake sent simple PayPal requests and paper surveys. 
The business grew and more people signed up, and Stitch Fix expanded into places customers had already queued up. Lake said, quote, We had 80,000 people on a wait list for plus sizes before we even launched the business, end quote. Though a technology company, much of Stitch Fix's early work wasn't technical. I was reminded of this simplicity of tools to get things done in a podcast between Maria Popova and Tim Ferriss. As he often does, Ferris asks about the tools Popova uses, and it's always fun to ask the what rather than the harder questions like the why or the how. But Maria has a remarkably simple system. For exercise on the road, she carries a weighted jump rope. For edits, she emails her blog post to her editor. For hosting, it's WordPress. It's simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. There are so many great internet tools that anyone can tap into. It's not the what that matters so much as the why and the how. And Lake started simply, too, with just PayPal and Google Docs and things like that. That's how these, like Lake observed, super unqualified normal people start. Eventually, Lake had to raise some more money, and she pitched to venture capitalists, and this was difficult. She said, quote, when you're doing something nobody else is doing, you're either the smartest or the stupidest person in the room, end quote. Part of the reason may have been that it was a service for women and Lake needed capital to buy inventory. And this was hard in venture capital. Another headwind Lake had to face was that venture capitalists were looking for home runs. They were looking for unicorn billion dollar companies and they didn't think that Stitch Fix could reach that. It was a strikeout or home run approach. This brings us to our point we often make about stakeholders. Who is involved in the decision? What are their incentives and priorities? What is their point of view about how things are going to work? Uh, Katrina Lake told Elle magazine, uh, quote, they were like, you want $2 million to buy dresses, end quote. So we have all of these venture capitalists who are predominantly men, predominantly white men who don't understand it. And this is something that has been happening ever since the days of Airbnb raising money. Is Part of the Airbnb story was that people who stayed at nice hotels wouldn't understand why you would want to stay at someone's house. So this lack of empathy, a lack of understanding what the possible markets could be, hindered venture capital returns. But Maybe this lack of fundraising help, maybe because things were harder, it forced Lake and the Stitch Fix company in the early days to nail their business model. In Exponent episode number 143, Ben Thompson talks about Dropbox and Twitter. And um, in some ways, Thompson notes, those two companies were too successful. They worked too well. They had too much positive press. They had too much glow around them. They weren't forced to figure out a business strategy. And maybe the opposite occurred for Stitch Fix. Without the ease of a lot of venture money, Maybe the company was forced to excel at inventory management, balancing cash flow, and crushing marketing. They kept serving customers, one of which was Amy Feinberg. Lake told Elle magazine, quote, One of those loyal clients was Amy Feinberg, who happened to be the executive assistant to Bill Gurley, a general partner at the venture capital firm Benchmark. She was like, I think you should know the staff is spending a lot of money with this company, Gurley recalls. He set up a meeting with Lake, and although he was skeptical at first, having worked with Nordstrom.com and experienced the pitfalls of e-tail, he was blown away by the company's financials, end quote. And Benchmark would go on to read a, lead a $12 million B round in 2013. By 2014, Stitch Fix was a profitable company. What helped get them there was good data. 
We were always a data company, said Chief Algorithms Officer Eric Colson. How could data and fashion go together? Lake explained what Tyler Cowen wrote about in the book Average is Over. In that book, Cowen makes the point that the best performing employees are going to be the ones who can use technology well. The best employees, the best performers, are going to be people who use technology to supplement their weaknesses and amplify their strengths. This is what Lake said about how Stitch Fix is doing this. Quote, We see it as both are uniquely good at different things. The stylist should never worry about whether or not you hate yellow. The data will take care of that. End quote. Uh, Colson told BuzzFeed News, quote, We don't have any opinions here. We have hypotheses, and we test them to make sure we're acting in our clients' best interests. End quote. Stitch Fix went public in November 2017. Lake and her son were there to ring the bell. Initially, she didn't want to be seen as a woman CEO, just a CEO. But, she explained, quote, Being part of what opens people's lenses of possibility is really powerful. Now I'm proud to be part of that and wear that label. And it's good that people can see more examples of what success could look like that maybe are different from what it looked like in the past, end quote. See it to believe it is a powerful concept. From Jesse Itzler to Judd Apatow and Joe Rogan to Kara Swisher, they all started something because they saw that something was possible and thought, yes, that. Lake's Stitch Fix story isn't complete. The company uh, is doing okay since their IPO, if you looked at it via the stock market, which maybe isn't the best metric, but it's an available metric for the company. There's talk on Twitter about who could possibly acquire this company, and I think what is so powerful about the company is that they've really succeeded in bridging the digital space and the meat space worlds. Uber is probably the best example of a company that is using technology to make physical improvements in the world. And I think this is an important next step for technology, for the connected world that we live in, is that we've done a lot of things online. We've created the social networks that can continually approve. We've created ways to share photos and videos and education and ideas and words and things like that. And maybe one of the next steps is how we can make those things even better to continue our education via podcasts in a more structured form. And another avenue is going to be what Lake is doing and what Lyft does, and it's to use technology to make our non-screen world better. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mike's Notes. Well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you.